Good morning, good morning. How you doing? It's still morning, it's 11.59. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9, as we continue our unlikely series. I think the first place I learned the lesson that I want to talk about today was in my short season as a Cub Scout. Any uh, Cub Scouts in the house? Anybody was a Cub Scout? Um, so, you know, you join the Cub Scouts to learn to be a master of the outdoors, to become a man, and, you know, the, I'm excited to be a scout and become manly, and the first thing that, that they do is they put me in short shorts and knee-high socks. And so that was, uh, you know, a, a, a little denigrating, and then, and then you're, you know, you're like, well, at least I don't have to be like a normal civilian and pledge with just my hand on my chest. I get to do the full Top Gun, Maverick, and Goose, and Iceman, you know, and they're like, nope, you get two fingers, you know? So then I'm like a little two stubbies, and they're like, cubbies, come here, you know? And there's just nothing that I, it, it just wasn't going like I thought, so I think that's why I was you know, excited to do the Pinewood Derby because now we're going to make a race car. And so basically they give you a block of wood and tell you to carve it down into a race car. And so I went down to my uncle's house who was a master carpenter and took that little chunk of wood and made something that looked exactly like this. Let me show you the picture. I made a Ferrari Testarossa. You remember the Ferrari Testarossa? Remember when that was like the car? And so we worked, I painted it, put stickers on it, and showed up. And I thought, you know, I am going to be the man with a Ferrari Testarossa. And put my car down for its first race. It's on this decline ramp. And the kid that came up next to me to put it down, put down a car that looked like this. And I was like, oh, poor kid. You put like the grandma 1940 mobile. I am going to eat you for lunch, right? And the cub master says, go. The, the barriers go up. And what happened next was one of the most embarrassing moments of my whole childhood. Grandma Mobile destroyed me. Like it zipped down like it was turbocharged. And not only did it destroy me, my Testarossa barely got going. You see, I had shaved it so down into so aerodynamic that I didn't realize I had taken all the weight out of it. And so it barely got going and got halfway down the ramp and then goes and got stuck. I didn't finish the race. I had made the wheelbase too wide to support its like elegant frame, and it got stuck on the racetrack. And that day I realized it doesn't matter how pretty something is. It matters how much weight it carries. And God's been trying to get this message through my head for the rest of my days. And I want to look at that in 1 Samuel chapter 9 because we're in an unlikely series. And today we're going to take a little divergent path off our course of looking at primarily unlikely people. And we're going to study someone who I think most of us, if they walked into the room, would say, that person is likely going to be someone who makes a big contribution. And his name was Saul. So if you're taking notes, which I always encourage you to do, I want you to write down the title of this message. The title for today's message is Don't Fall for Saul. Say that with me. Don't 
fall for Saul. Because I find that we do it over and over and over again. That someone walks in the room and we go, wow, that person is impressive. Certainly they're going to do something great. Let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says, there was a man from the tribe of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechereth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of influence and wealth. Kish had a son named Saul, a choice and handsome man. Among the sons of Israel, there was not a man more handsome than he. From his shoulders and up, he was a head taller than any other people. Here are four things I notice about Saul. Number one, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. That was the most popular. That was the most celebrated. That was the, Benjamin was the most loved child of Jacob. And it was even said of him in a prophecy in Genesis 49 that he was like a ravenous wolf that could destroy his prey. It was known as a tough tribe. Second of all, he was the son of Kish. And Kish was a man that the scripture says was influential and wealthy. It was kind of like being in the Kennedy family in America or the Bushes or the Hiltons, right? This was a, a family that was known for their influence and power. Thirdly, says this, he was choice and handsome. He would have walked in the room and all the girls would have gone, oh, right? Still my beating heart, right? That's the, the kind of handsome man. It says no one was as handsome as he. And then it goes on to say that he was a head and shoulders taller than everyone. So not only was he handsome, when he walked in, people went, whoa, right? So you're talking about a guy that looks like the rock, you know? <laughs> now watch what happens. 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. This is going to be when the people of Israel decide, we want a king. It says, then all the Israel, elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. Samuel was the prophet. And said to him, look, you've grown old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king to judge and rule over us like all the other nations. But their demand displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge and rule over us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they haven't rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, then that they've abandoned, rejected me, and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Can I just tell you the phrase that I make note of is we want to be like all the other nations. You know, when you start looking around at the world around you and you say, I want to be like them, that's when you know you're going to get in trouble. Because as the people of God, we're supposed to live a set-apart, different life. Then they say, God says, you're following after other gods. It's so natural because we can't see the living God, and so it's hard to live by faith. So we so often let our hearts go out to other gods. Watch this. So they say, we want a king. Samuel says, you don't want a king because this is what he's going to do to you. Verse 10, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. These will be the ways of the king who will rule over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them for himself to be chariots. He goes on, verse 13, he'll take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. But look what they say in verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel and said, No, but there shall be a king over us so that we too may be like all the nations around us, that our king may be judge and govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
You know, when we're not walking in line with the Lord, we're always looking for someone else to go in front of us to fight our battles, right? And the heart of us is to have someone that's stronger to rescue us. And if we don't look to the Lord, we'll always look to someone around us. We'll look to a celebrity. We'll look to uh, a movie star. We'll look to uh, an athlete. This is so natural in human desire, and we want to put them up as a God. And can I just tell you that every human has faults and weaknesses? Uh, I had an interesting experience this week. I was at the doctor's office, and I'm sitting there, I look to the right, and there's a magazine rack just right at, at head high, and directly, even with my eyes, I look at the cover of People magazine, and I think, no way, because it's people that I just sat at their home and shared normal meals with. They've been in my home, but it's Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they, it is the most stunning picture ever, like airbrushed, Chip's hair is flowing, right, like a Greek god, and I'm just thinking, that Chip would hate this. Like, this is so not him. He so doesn't want people to think of him this way. And then I remember reading this article that was entitled, Chip Gaines Ruined My Marriage. And I was so ticked because he's my friend. And I'm thinking, no, he's been completely faithful to his wife. Well, he hadn't done anything. It was just a shock title to get people to read it. It worked because I was reading it now. And it said, it said like, Chip Gaines has ruined my marriage because my wife watches Fixer Upper and totally compares me to Chip, who everything that Joanna Gaines thinks of, Chip can build in a day, which is actually not true, right? He has a massive team, but he can build in a day. He does it with a smile. He's always laughing. He's always telling funny jokes, and he has all the children with him and takes them to ice cream every day. <laughs> Which, the funny thing is, like, Chip would never want that set of him. He's just a normal guy. But we have this tendency to elevate people. And, in fact, the person who wrote the article didn't know Chip. But we just, someone doesn't know him just saying he's the perfect man. Like, don't we always do that? We're always looking to make someone a God, to exalt them, and then say, like, yeah, I'm with them, and, and to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. And can I just tell you, that's dangerous. It's destructive to you because you're always measuring yourself and you never add up. It's destructive to someone else to put them on a pedestal because they're just a human. So watch what happens next. Now, 1 Samuel 10, 9 through 13, this, this helps you understand what I'm not saying because if you're a handsome person or if you're a beautiful person in this room, I'm not saying you're doomed, right? Or if you, if you have a little money in your bank account, I'm not saying, oh, you're cursed, Right? That's not what I'm saying, because God can get a hold of anyone's heart and use them. This is what 1 Samuel 10, 9 through 13 says. It says, then it happened when Saul turned back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. So God changed Saul's heart. And all those th signs came to pass that day. When they came to the hill Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came on him, came on Saul mightily, and he prophesied under divine guidance among them. And now when all who knew Saul previously saw that he actually prophesied, now by inspiration with the prophets, they said to one another, what's happened to Saul? So Saul has this experience, and we call it get rocked, right? That's what we say, get rocked, get real, and give it away. So Saul has this encounter with God. And look at the, ver the last verse, verse 13. When Saul had finished prophesying, he went to the high place to worship. So Saul's actually off to a good start. He got rocked by God. He's going to worship. But watch what happens next. It's a test. He meets someone from his past. He meets his uncle. And you guys know how it is. When we come in contact with someone who knew us in our past life, 
And you're like, I, I, I'm kind of intimidated because they've known me forever. And like they know the old me. Watch this story. So verse 14, Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And Saul said to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel for help. Saul's uncle said, oh, please tell me, what did Samuel say to you? Saul's uncle knows Samuel's a prophet. He probably had a word from God for you. Like, this is cool. Tell me about what's going on. And Saul said to his uncle, uh, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom, which Samuel had mentioned. Underline that. He did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom. I think we've all had these situations, right, where you had this God miracle. Maybe you didn't know how to pay rent, and then God provided. Or maybe you were sick, and God touched your body and healed you. Or God did this miraculous intervention in your life, and you show up at work, and someone said, hey, you look really excited. What happened this weekend? And you know, like, this is my time to testify of God's goodness. And you look right at them, and you go, nothing. Why are you so happy? Just happy. Right? And you totally shrink back because you're ashamed to mention the kingdom. Are you following me? Like it's your set up time to give a testimony, but because maybe they're your boss or maybe they're your cool friend or someone that's known you forever that you fail to mention the matter of the kingdom. Can I say, never stop talking about the kingdom. Don't ever stop talking about the kingdom. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. You talk about God, and he comes in mightily to support you. Right? I remember this um, this one girl in, uh, in the beginning days of our church, and she was a, a real big partier, and she was living with her boyfriend, and and, and she met us, and, and as we talked to her about Jesus, she, with tears, gave her life to Christ. And immediately, everything started changing. I mean, immediately, she stopped sleeping with her boyfriend. Immediately, she started changing everything. And we weren't even telling her what to change. Like, the Holy Spirit just came in and was transforming her life. And she's listening to worship music nonstop. And then she comes up to my wife and says, hey, I just threw away all my Cosmo magazines because I was just looking, and it's all about image, and it's all about sexuality. And I just threw them all. And we're just amazed because God is bringing this crazy transformation in her life. And she said, hey, pray for me because I'm going to go talk to my mom and my mom's not a believer. And so I remember her going home and she comes back and we say, how did it go talking to your mom? And she's like, oh yeah, I didn't do it. I just didn't want my mom to think anything was different. We're like, oh, bummer. And time after time she'd encounter her mom again, but she's like, I just don't want my mom to think anything's changed. And after about three months, this girl who had had her life miraculously transformed just went back to her old way of life. Don't ever stop making mention of what God has done for you. Don't ever stop talking about the matters of the kingdom, even when it's uncomfortable. You honor God, and he will come strongly to support you. So that was Saul's first mess up. Now watch this, 1 Samuel 10, verse 20. And when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Now this is going to be 
Saul's crowning moment. He's actually going to be coronated king. So you'd think this is a real exciting time. It says, then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by their family. So this whole tribe comes forth. And then he pulls out the family of Mitri. He was chosen by Lot. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen by Lot. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. So this is his coronation moment. But they look for Saul, and he can't be found. <clears throat> so they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come yet? And the Lord answered, he is there, hiding himself by the provisions and supplies. Now guys, if anyone should have been confident, if anyone should have felt like I can be king, it's Saul, right? There's no one bigger. There's no one more handsome. No one comes from a more prestigious family. No one comes from a better tribe. And when they go to coronate him, what is he doing? You've probably seen this before. You go up to a, to a family, and you're saying hi to, a, to, to them, and then you get down to say hi to their little kid, and their kid's like, no, right? And they, they go and hide behind their parents' legs, and you're like, that's so cute, but kind of sad, and, but certainly you'll grow out of it, right? But imagine going up to the rock, you know, going up to a seven-foot strapping, hunking, handsome, and you're like, hey, what's up? And the guy's like, oh, you know, and hides, goes and hides behind his mama's leg. Like, that is awkward. That is uncomfortable. And that's what Saul's doing. Why? Because as long as you see yourself by your external characteristics, your abilities, you'll always be insecure. Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter how many giftings you have. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are, handsome you are, how strong you are, how much you achieve. It will never be enough. Did you ever see The uh, Greatest Showman? Did you see that movie, The Greatest Showman? Um, there's this scene. This beautiful woman comes forth. She is standing on the center of the stage. She is, at the time, the most popular star in all of America. And what does she sing? All the shine of a thousand spotlights. All the stars we steal from the night sky can never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it will never be enough, never be enough. Never, never, never enough, never, never. I'm, I'm listening to that, and I'm going... Preach it, greatest showman. Like that was a prophetic song to a generation. Because what I see in this generation is the idol is popularity. It's fame. Everyone's taking a selfie of themselves and look at me and my perfect life. I mean, you remember like 15 years ago, if you saw someone posing in front of their own camera, you would have been like, what's wrong with you? Right? And now we're like, Look at me. I'm drinking coffee. Like, wow! You know, look at, look at me. I'm sitting in this chair. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's crazy. It's this, this, this idolatry of celebrity. And what is, what is this woman saying? She's saying, I can hold the whole world. I can have the perfect life, and it will never be enough. Do you know why? Because God designed you in a way that you could have the whole world and it won't be enough. Can I just say that again? 
Whatever you are longing for most when you walked into the church today, if it's not rooted in the presence and the person of Jesus Christ, it will never be enough. As long as we're looking towards our external abilities, it'll never be enough. <clears throat> but yet yeah, we, we fall for it over and over and over again. Even in the church, right? We're like, if that person got saved, it would change everything. Have you ever heard someone say that? Like if this person in my job got saved, I think it would just change the whole job. If this person in our school got saved, it would change everything, right? If that celebrity got, oh, they have so much influence. Can I just tell you, Justin Bieber just sang worship at Coachella and the world is still not saved. I'm not down on Justin Bieber, and I'm not. I'm glad they worship at Coachella now. But what I'm saying is that God works in other ways. God works in other ways. And, and I want to just, let me just be very vulnerable, because I think it might help someone today. I still try to be like Saul. Right? I, I, still, I still want people to think, oh, he's so wise, or he's so strong. Am I the only person that's like that? Okay, so um, this week we had this interesting experience with uh, my, my son was going out for the junior high football team, and he's, he's, a, he's a really good football player, and so he goes to practice, and they, they put him at another position, and so he goes up to the coaches afterwards, he's like, hey, could I try out for quarterback? Like, is there going to be tryouts? And the coaches say, no, we're, we're only giving that to, to the eighth graders who want that. And, and so he comes home totally discouraged, and, and I'm thinking, I've never heard of a sport where you can't at least try for your position, right? And so I'm like, hey, do you want me to call your coach? And he's like, no, 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 Dad, don't, don't call your because I'm like, I'll call him, right? And, and, and so I didn't call him. I was proud of my son, how he responded. But then I go to my kid's school. To, to, I go for some other totally different reason, but then I see my son out at football practice, and I see the coaches by him. So I'm like, this is a good opportunity. So I walk up, and I put my hands on my son's shoulders. I'm looking over, making sure the coach sees me. So he knows this is a father who's very involved. Like, this father knows what's going on out here. And then I drop my hands after I made sure that everyone knows Hudson is my son. And I roll back my shoulders, suck in my gut. And I walk over. And I look down at the coaches because they were a little shorter than me. <laughs> and I stick out my, my hand and I, <clears throat> this hard handshake. I'm like, gentlemen. <clears throat> and thanks for coaching. And I'm walking off and I can tell that they're like, oh, this guy. You know, because here's what I wanted. I wanted them to see this son, this boy, he comes from good stock. He comes from seventh grade quarterback stock. Like I was a seventh grade quarterback and I, I might only play two games, but I want them to know. <laughs> so I'm walking off and I, you know, I'm thinking, Hey, that was really, that was really good. Right. I'm kind of walking off and immediately I hear the Holy Spirit go, you're being like Saul. And I go, Oh, because that whole morning I had been writing my sermon on Don't Fall for Saul. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? 
Am I the only person that does this stuff? Now, I know some of you are like, no, I, it's not my, my deal is not trying to be a seventh grade quarterback, you know. But what is it for you? You know, I, I want to be known as the best mom. I, I, I want to be, be seen as the, I'm like the neighbor that takes care of all the other neighbors. And they're not even bad, but it's because you want to be seen as the strongest, the smartest, the prettiest, the, the most on top of things, the most organized, right? And here's what I love about the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 30. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So why do I keep trying to be something in the world? Because God's saying, I choose the weak. When you're weak, that's when I can be strong. When you feel broken, that's when I can come and put you together. When you feel like there's no hope, then I can come and be your hope. And that's what it says here. It says to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one can boast before him. Because he gets all the glory. Am I the only one who I'm like, I want to do something great for God? But I sure hope people see me doing it. Right? I want God to get all the glory, but can I have just a little of it, right? I mean, is that not how we are? And God's saying, no, I actually use you in your weakness. And now watch this. It, several weeks ago, God gave me this illustration of like, what's it like to be in Christ? And, and, and I had this thought like, you know, it's like being in one of those giant wrestling sumo suits. Here's a picture of it. This is how I dressed up the other day because it says this. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Can I just tell you that when you feel insecure, it's a perfect opportunity to clothe yourself in Christ. And realize it's actually he's our wisdom. Whenever you feel like, man, I'm just not that smart and I just kind of feel stupid. Well, good, because then you can realize I need the wisdom of God. Oh, I just feel like not very worthwhile and I feel so insecure. Well, good, because then you can clothe yourself in Christ and actually be in him. When are we going to learn to start letting our insecurities drive us to Christ? Do you know that your insecurities can be a great gift? Because they actually make you need Jesus. And then when you're walking in Jesus, you are who you're created to be. Saul didn't get that. So Saul actually ends up losing his destiny. Let's look at it in 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand of the seashore. So here's the thing. Israel, the people of God, Saul's their king. The Philistines come to fight them, and they just totally outnumber them. Tons of soldiers, all these chariots, all this war machinery. And so the people of Israel look at that, and look what happens next. It says this, they went up and camped at Michmash, even at beth Aven. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Can I just tell you, whenever you are looking at a problem, and then you look at yourself, 
yourself and your own abilities, you'll always run to hide. Can I tell you, there's always going to be situations that are bigger, and there are always going to be situations that are more impossible than you can handle. That is just what happens in life. And as long as you look at your natural circumstances and your natural abilities, you'll go and hide. Or even worse, watch what they did next. It says, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. The land of Jordan, they had crossed the Jordan before and come to the promised land. But what happens when they look at this impossible situation, they start leaving their promised land. I see people do that all the time. They're like, I'm called to San Diego. God brought me here. He has a great plan for me. But then all of a sudden, oh, it's too expensive. Oh, my gosh, it's too hard to live here. I'm going to move. I'm going to Arizona, right? Or even worse, I'm moving back to Texas. Don't do it, right? Don't leave the promised land. Well, I'm not against those states, of course. But what I'm saying is I find people that are like, hey, God gave me the spouse, but all of a sudden things get hard and they're like, I'm out of here. And they leave the promise. God gave me this job, but my boss is too hard. And what do they do? They leave the promise. So many times people hit eject in the middle of the promise because things are too hard and they're looking at their natural circumstances. And that's what Saul does. Watch what happens. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Samuel's a prophet. He's saying, hey, wait here seven days. I'm going to come back, and we're going to offer this sacrifice to God, and God's going to come. So he waits seven days, and then it says he didn't come to Gilgal, and so Saul's men began to scatter. And so he said to him, bring me a burnt offering and the fellowship offering, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Saul was not the one that was supposed to do this. This is the role of the prophet. But Saul takes matters into his own hands because God didn't show up when he thought he should show up. Can I just tell you that whenever we're looking at our own circumstances and we don't think God's moving on our timetable, that's when we start manipulating. And that's when we start taking matters into our own hands. And that's when we start sinning. Can I tell you that God's never late? He's just not on your timetable. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, God, you're not going to show up. You're not going to leave. You're not going to help me. Watch, watch what happens next. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. Do you see that? Samuel did show up on the seventh day. He just didn't show up when Saul was comfortable with him showing up. God's always on time. He just might stretch you a little further than you thought you could handle. Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, well, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord God gave you. Can I tell you when you start caring more about what people think than what God thinks, that's when we end up breaking his commands? We need to live for the approval of one. And as long as you live for the approval of many, you're a slave. 
So he goes and makes his own offering. Look at what Samuel ends up saying to him. He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Let me just tell you, you're in a financially hard time. It seems impossible, right? Then our tendency is, well, I'm going to take matter into my own hands. I'm going to cheat on my taxes. Or I'm just going to kind of do this shady little thing. Or I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to give God the first because I just don't have the money to do it. So I I just got to make something happen because I'm in a desperate time. But God says, no, you keep my commands, I will establish you. You hear that? He says to Saul, if you would have kept my command, I would establish your kingdom forever. But no, he took matters into his own hands. He acts in his own self-strength. And now watch what it says. But now your kingdom, verse 14, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you've not kept the commands of the Lord. What's God looking for? He's not looking for the strongest, the toughest, the brightest, the best pedigree. He's just looking for a man or a woman after his own heart. In fact, I love it. 1 Samuel 16, Samuel goes to anoint a new king because God says, I've rejected Saul. And this is, in my opinion, the highlight of the whole life of Saul and his successor, David. says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, in verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can I just say that over you today? Because what I know is that we all look at our outward appearance. We all look at our giftings. We all look at our abilities, and we think, oh, I fall short. And God's saying, that's not what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at, church, is I'm looking at your heart. Just turn your heart to me, and I love it. Just turn your heart to me, and I'm coming to support you. Just turn your heart to me, and I'm not going to let you down. Just turn your heart to me, and I will come and fill it. So God chooses someone who's the exact opposite of Saul. Instead of going to the, the preeminent tribe, the popular tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, who does he go to? He goes to Judah, that tribe. Remember, we talked about it last week. Judah was the the sexual sin-laced, immoral, bummer tribe. And God says, no, from the ashes, I can raise up beauty. I can take you out of the, the most broken family line and turn it for beauty. And he, instead of going to Kish, who was the most influential and the most wealthy and most powerful, he goes to Jesse, a poor shepherd. And instead of going to the the one who stood a head and shoulders taller. He goes and finds a young man, right? He goes to the one that's not even invited to the party. You know, it stinks when you're not invited to the party. But can I tell you that God sees you? When you don't feel picked, God picks you. And so God picked the one kid that wasn't invited to the party. He picks a little lowly shepherd boy because he had a heart after God because he had his faith in God. And now watch this at the very end. This is how we're going to finish. Saul is in another problem. He's still king, and the Philistines come again, and this time they send out their champion. His name is Goliath. He's a giant. He's nine foot tall. So who is the right person to take on a giant? Another giant. And Saul's a giant. Saul's probably about seven foot, maybe even taller But you know, Saul just kept looking at his own abilities, his own giftings, 
And when you see something bigger than you, you'll always shrink back in insecurity. And so what does Saul do? He shrinks back. He should have taken on Goliath. But instead he shrinks back. And so what happens? This little youngster, this little shepherd boy from the wrong tribe, from the wrong family, from the wrong city. He was from Bethlehem for crying out loud. That's not being from, from, from Los Angeles. That's like being from Yuma, right? We only stop to get gas in Yuma, right? But they pick him, and, and David comes up. And, and, and watch this. He says, I'll take him on. And, and Saul replied, verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. You're a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, right? He probably had this high-pitched, squeaky voice. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Pretty impressive. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. Watch this verse. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. I love it. Saul, the most important, the most authoritative, the, the king looks at him and says, you can't do it. And what does David say? The Lord will rescue me. You look at your finances today and you say, I can't do it. But the Lord will rescue you. You look at your marriage and you go, I can't do it. And you're hearing all the voices, you can't do it. But the Lord will rescue you. You look at your family and you see your prodigal kids going this way and that way. And, and you hear the voices, you can't do it. And you look back and say, the Lord will rescue me. You look at your depression, your despair, and you're hearing the voices say, you can't do it. You can't make it. And you say, the Lord will rescue me because it's not about me and it's never been about me because I serve a God that's a lot bigger than me. And in my weakness, he is strong. And I'm not going to be Saul. I'm going to be a man who says, the Lord will rescue me. And I'll tell you what, church, that is the secret to this book is that it's not about you. And let me tell you, this isn't just a sweet story because the ending of Saul's life is much different than David's. Little David from the wrong place and the wrong family and the wrong tribe with the wrong job. And let me just tell you, he didn't have the most upstanding career and reputation, but at the end of his life, it says he fulfilled the purposes of God for his generation. Where Saul, who had it all, Bigger, stronger, richer, more powerful, more noble birth. But at the end of his life, he actually takes his own life. Why? Because he always looked at himself. And when something was impossible, he said, I can't handle it, and eventually just tapped out. Where David didn't tap out, this little kid went and picked the most famous fist fight in the history of the world and won. The fight against Goliath the giant. Why? Because he knew the Lord will rescue me. Stand up, church. 
What's your giant today? What's the impossible situation today? Can I just tell you, we got to stop looking at ourselves, and it's time to say, the Lord will rescue me. Can you say that with me? The Lord will rescue me. Would you close your eyes right now? Take the situation that's in your mind right now. Take the situation that's in your mind right now. All over this room, there's all kinds of real pain. There's financial crisis. There's family issues. Right? There's relationships that are horrible. There's health issues. Can you just take that in your mind? Maybe you even want to open up your hands and see yourself just holding it before the Lord. To see yourself holding it. And I want you to look at that situation and I want you to say to it, the Lord will rescue me. The Lord will rescue me. The Lord will rescue my marriage. The Lord will rescue my children. The Lord will rescue me from financial disrepair. The Lord will rescue me from my depression. The Lord will rescue me from my despair. Father, I'm praying right now over this congregation that they would know that the Lord's rescuing them. And if God's not living in your life, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven when you die, just pray this with me right now. Let the Lord come in and take over your life. Just pray this right after me. If you need to, just say, Jesus, I need you. Come and rescue me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Forgive my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Right now, with every eye closed, I want to pray for the ones that say, yeah, Pastor, I'm praying that right now. If that's you, just look up at me and wave right now. It's all over this room. Just wave at me so I can know that's you. Thank you. Who else? Just wave at me real quick. All over this room. I'm not going to point you out. Just who is that? Just wave at me. Father, I thank you as far as the east is from the west. That's how far you're moving our sins from us. Prayer team, come forward really quickly. God, I'm praying for our congregation today that they would know the Lord will rescue them. If you're giving your life to Jesus today, or if you just say, I need someone to pray with me in a physical hardship or in a marital hardship or a financial hardship, or I want to pray for someone else that's just going through it, just start coming forward right now.